Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Welcome to Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Gosh, lots to talk about, uh, Connor, uh, because uh, the pardon of, of a bunch of folks by President Trump has turned into Pardon Palooza. Pardon Palooza. Yeah, uh, Everything's got to have a catchy name. That's right. Well, that's pretty catchy. It is. And, and also, it's kind of catchy, uh, the idea of letting every felon vote, which is a, it's a hot topic in the I'm presidential excited. election. Uh, should the Unabomber be allowed to Ooh, vote? good example. Excellent. Can't wait to talk about, about it. Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't imagine who he He's would vote for. eaten enough people, he should probably vote for, for two people. <laughs> it's like a pregnant lady, you know, eating for two. Is it too soon to make these jokes? I don't know. No, All it's right, not too soon. It's never too soon to make a Jeffrey Dahmer joke. So uh, we are going to get into Pardon Palooza as well as letting felons vote. But I have to tell you, I have to share with you uh, an experience I had, uh, Connor, driving to work uh, the other day uh, here in downtown Los Angeles. Got these freeway overpasses where people actually uh, reach out to folks and, and communicate political messages. Yeah, it's like a free billboard. It is. And it's a living billboard because uh, there's a giant Bernie sign and there are three or four young Yay. folks holding up the Bernie sign. Mm-hmm. And they're actually kind of dancing and waving to attract even, How fun. More, even more attention yeah. than... Like sign spinners. Yeah, something like that. So, gosh, I, I was creeping along on the freeway down below, and I, I, I just couldn't resist uh, kind of reaching out to him, you know, giving oh, him a shout-out. Oh, that's so out. nice. Yeah. So I, I reached my, my hand out the window, and uh-huh. I start to wave, you know, the whole big wave. And, and they're loving it. That. They're loving they're it. Loving they're responding. It. You know, great. they're really happy. And then then I decided I just dropped the thumb, okay? So now I'm giving them a nice big a wave. four-finger wave. Just, yeah, just four fingers, okay? Now where this is going. They're watching. And then I dropped the pinky, okay? Now so it's like it's, a W. It's down to three. Now mm. the ring finger disappears. Mm. We're now down. You know, I don't think we need to finish the whole story. Well, that think is the family, the finish. It's a family podcast. That is the finish of the story, Con. I gave them the V for victory. Oh, that's so nice the of you. The index finger and the middle finger right, form together. a V, oh, like v Churchill, da, like Nixon had da, the double. Da, 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 yeah. Da, da, so da, da, you may da. wonder. I'm a USC alum, so of course the fight song and the V for victory are very close to my heart. Yeah. I appreciate you uh, reaching across the aisle to the Bernie bros. So you might say, well, gee, uh, Dad, I thought you were a libertarian. Why yeah. would you be waving at the Bernie bros yeah. and so on? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the way I see it, uh, Bernie should be the nominee, and of uh-huh. course, uh, yesterday, uh, Joe Biden, the comeback geezer, uh, he made quite a, a, a stand in South Carolina, just like some sort of uh, Confederate general, I guess. Mm. And that's a bad analogy. Yeah, Joe a bad wouldn't analogy. appreciate no, he that. He would not. 
But anyway, uh, he's you know maybe he'll he'll make the big comeback. But a lot of people have been essentially saying, look, do the math. I mean, especially with California coming up as part of Super Tuesday, California apparently is going to go big time for Bernie. Right, and it's going to be hard for Joe to come back. So I'm thinking that Bernie's in there. Okay, but I don't have a problem with it, and here's why: uh, for Bernie to go up against Trump, I could actually live with either outcome. Now, on the one hand, Donald Trump. Uh, he is a child, okay? Right. Right. Uh, he, uh, it's, un, it's inconceivable how little he brings to the party. But the fact of the matter is, if you are a libertarian or a conservative, a lot of good things have happened under Trump in the sense that, as we know from the familiar debate, the judges and the regulations and so on. The fact that the guy at the top you know, says he's fallen in love with a mass murderer over in North Korea. That's disturbing. Yeah. But, you know, we haven't blown up yet. Who knows what's going to happen with coronavirus? So one, in a sense, can live without with that outcome. Now, what about Bernie? How could I live without a, that outcome? I think the reason a libertarian would be okay with Bernie is because Bernie, as a socialist, he's basically dropped the democratic socialist business. He, he's, he's acknowledging he's a socialist. He is going to drag the down-ballot folks to defeat so that the Democrats will not clobber the Republicans in November. They will not win both the House and the Senate. And if that happens, I can live with Bernie in the White House and not controlling both halves of Congress. If that happened, then boom, why don't we just you know move to Sweden because that's where Bernie is taking, or per- more appropriately, Cuba, because you sure. know, that's Cuba, what we've been focusing fantastic on. Fantastic medical um, yeah. uh, system, a, a socialized well, healthcare. And whereas if Biden fantastic. gets in there uh, and has, uh, has both the Democrats uh, uh, controlling the House and the Senate, mm-hmm. then it's, you know, Katie barred the door. Open season for Biden to reach across the aisle and do whatever Republicans want him to do, like yeah, he's been doing for the last 20 years. Yeah, we don't like that. So anyway, do you see anything wrong with my way of thinking, my twisted no, way of thinking your about analysis, Bernie and Trump being okay? Your analysis is, uh, I think, uh, uh, very on point as to what you can live with. But you probably don't even represent all libertarians, even because uh, you know you. I think you've got I represent all, very few libertarians. Uh, you got a lot of conservative opinions, and you have some socially liberal opinions. You're you're a mixed bag for sure. And I think a lot of people out there, libertarians included, would say, "I can't live with another four years of Donald Trump." Now, Donald Trump uh, is a guy who. Um, has has created some very bad outcomes for what libertarians think. For example, uh, um, libertarians, many, many libertarians still care very, very deeply uh, about the environment. Right. And, and Trump has had some very, very bad outcomes uh, for regulation uh, as to our air and our water and every other natural resources. Um, and I think a lot of libertarians care very deeply about civil liberties and protecting individuals' rights. They better or they can tear up their libertarian Absolutely. Cars. And when you're... Uh, putting people uh, in in jail and taking away their children at the U.S. border um, on suspicion, basically based on uh, the country they're walking in from or the the color of their skin, uh, a lot of uh, libertarians would say, this is a terrible outcome, and this is just allowing racism to define our policy under a very, very thin veneer of, uh, of the rule of law. And so I think a lot of libertarians would say, I can't live with that Trump outcome. And on the other side, a lot of libertarians would say, 
well, I probably can't live with the with the Bernie um, outcome either. But I think your analysis is spot on. Bernie will, as Jim Clyburn, uh, a Democrat, uh, Southern Democrat, said uh, right after Nancy Pelosi comes out and says, oh, we have a plan for, for a Sanders nomination. <laughs> Jim Clyburn, the same day in front of a reporter, says, well, the down ballot carnage that, that Sanders will bring. Oh, so they don't exactly have a plan. There will be down ballot carnage. I think that um, you're right. Biden would uh, would win a bunch of swing uh, voter type um, you know, people uh, for for down ballot races. Now, I think Bernie uh, will win an excited population, and he would actually have a more decisive victory over Trump uh, than than Biden, as the polls show he would. Right. But you're right, down ballot um, Democrats would rather go with milk toast. Uncle Joe. Well, we can bloviate all we want, but we'll know a whole lot more in a few days. Tuesday. Super Tuesday Super is going to be in the books. Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to mention is that I, I think that uh, Bernie kind of made a mistake going on that 60 Minutes uh, show talking about Castro and so on the way he did, because l- let's give him credit. He's honest. He, right. He's He's pointing out the upside of totalitarian regimes. It's all nuance, be, folks. Based on his views of, over the last many decades. Yeah. But it wasn't very politic. I mean, no, setting wasn't. aside the fact that Florida is a huge swing state, you just got to win Florida. And there are a whole lot of folks uh, in Florida who really hate Castro and the Cuban regime. There are a uh, lot of folks in, in Florida that also like him yeah, and have a lot of family yeah, back in, over, in Florida. Overall, I mean, yeah. Oh, but they're imprisoned in, in this island prison camp. So overall, I think it's a negative for Bernie for Florida to to have taken that position. But I thought it was interesting that he, for example, uh, talked about literacy. Uh, and he was mentioning, oh, yes, you know, we, we criticize the totalitarian angle, but literacy uh, went through the roof under Castro. What I believe is that that means that when they get a letter from the government, they're able to read it. And I think essentially the letter from the Havana government would be, dear comrade, Glad you can read this. Just a reminder about the rules of the road here on our island. You have no freedom of speech. Until 2013, I looked this up, Connor, they had no freedom of travel. You're stuck, kind of like incarceration island without without Mr. Rourke to to help you out. And no one would say that that's a good thing. And if you did try to leave, we'll sink your your raft. But but now it's okay, so that is progress. But they have no due process. You piss us off with anti-government actions. Uh, You go straight to our Havana dungeons. No right to a job that you want. The international human rights organizations have computed the number of murders of enemies of the state in Cuba is 16,000. So with your new literacy skill, be sure that you read this carefully because you don't want to be next. Political dissidents in Cuba may not meet in large groups. No print or broadcast media outlets may criticize the government. So please enjoy your power of literacy and have a nice day. Your, I, your friend Raul Castro. I think it's a kind of a stretch to say that a government who did achieve something, which is uh, improving the literacy of its of its uh, population um, is actually bad. Actually, nerdily push my glasses up. Actually bad and because that's Bernie's point, isn't it? Because they're, they're actually bad because uh, well, they're just you know receiving government propaganda better. What? No, like they could receive everything better. And I'll tell you what, everyone will tell you that the the one of the strongest indicators of the march toward democracy and freedom is having a an educated you know literate population. It, it's a necessary part of the process. And 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 uh, 
true dictators um, who, who throughout history have known this and have constantly worked to keep their people uh, ignorant and weak because they're really dictators by way of extracting value from like the natural resources or slave labor or whatever right. else. This is a move in the right direction, and I think it will lead to a more open and more educated and more dem democratic Cuba. And I think that the Castro regime knows that, and they made the right moral decision as a result. I, I don't think you can fault them uh, for this and say, well, they just want people to read their propaganda. You can fault them for lots of things, as Sanders did, right. but not this. And just as with our opinions about Bernie versus uh, Joe, uh, the light will be uh, shining on all that in Super Tuesday True. and soon thereafter. Same here. Uh, Bernie makes his point in 60 Minutes. Uh, you've just expressed it uh, articulately. We'll find out down the road in the summer as to whether he shot himself in the foot or not. If he gets the nomination, we'll find out in November if he shot himself in the foot by, by talking about the upside of the totalitarian regimes. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, Pardon Palooza because pardons have been back in the news with, uh, with Donald Trump pardoning a bunch of folks. We're going to do that when we come right back. And by the way, folks, if you are enjoying this podcast, Too Many Lawyers, please don't forget to review and rate and subscribe at Revolver or Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, it really helps out. Just uh, click that subscribe button and you'll get updates on your uh, push notifications or whatever else on your phone so you know when our new episode come out, which is on Wednesdays. Absolutely, and we'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. Hey America, Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right-wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay-at-home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. We are back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So, pardon Palooza. Um, you know, the rule uh, is set forth in the Constitution. Uh, Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution says the president's clemency power extends only to federal criminal offenses. And that's interesting because folks were talking about uh, Trump pardoning himself. Right. Uh, and if he did, it's limited to just federal offenses. So if right. you've got a, a creative, uh, dogged state district attorney, district, yeah, a, a local uh, prosecutor, and they can figure out if Donald Trump violated some law, well, uh, by George, uh, he can't pardon himself. Uh, yeah, and that's why in. Uh, in uh, in movies uh, with a murderer who's about to go to the electric chair and they're asking for clemency, they're asking for a last-minute pardon, it's from the state governor because the state governor has the power to pardon people as to state uh, crimes uh, and the president has that power as to federal crimes. And as, if you remember... Um, uh, this actually came up in the news this week, this split between federal criminal uh, law versus state criminal law. The vast majority of... of criminal law in this country is state. Oh, That's absolutely. why the states run the criminal justice system. And only a, a tiny little slice of federal law is, uh, sorry, of criminal law is governed by the federal government. So, I mean, you know, stuff that has a federal nexus is the way people usually think about it and, and restrict uh, the laws when they write the laws. It has to have a federal nexus before the federal government can restrict it. Say that's uh, assassinating the president. That would be a federal crime because right. it has a federal nexus. He, he's a member of the federal government. But killing anybody else is just regular old murder. murder. And that regular old murder is governed by state law. This came up because there was an anti-lynching bill that uh, was passed in Congress this week. Um, and 
only four people voted against uh, that uh, anti-lynching bill. And what that anti-lynching bill did was it made lynching this slice of, uh, of, of criminal law into a federal uh, offense. I'd like to know who the four people who are, yeah. are okay with, uh, with lynching. Why and wouldn't all of the legislators want to make it a federal offense as well? Because three uh, super conservative senators said, well, this is just, uh, you know, this is just, you know, some sort of social justice move and we generally oppose all civil rights legislation. And then one guy, Justin Amash, who's now left the Republican Party and is, uh, you know, an independent and libertarian, whatever he wants to call himself, he went on a Twitter screed about how this was uh, federal, uh, it, making uh, what should be a criminal, uh, state criminal matter into a federal matter. And he's got a point that it is, uh, it is an expansion of federal power, but you can expand federal power when you believe it's necessary and important to do so for civil rights reasons. It doesn't have to have a federal nexus. That's just generally the rule of how things work. And he's, you know, kind of ignoring the reality of the history of the American criminal justice system that generally a lot of states have in the past lagged behind and they've needed the, the federal government, like in Brown versus Board of Education, to come down there and say, no, segre your segregated schools have to be integrated. We're making you doing, we're sending the National right. Guard in there. And in this case, the Democrats and the vast majority of Republicans agreed, yeah, this is a problem. You have to, we have to have, you know, the federal government regulating it because we can't trust uh, southern states probably uh, to handle this the right way. So we're going to, we're going to handle this ourselves. And only a few people were holdouts. But it is an interesting split between criminal law at the federal and state levels. Well, and it can be fascinating too. For example, a big part of a American legal history involved this issue, the Rodney King uh, trials. Right. Uh, folks will recall that back in, I think, 1991, uh, Rodney King was beaten to a pulp by some cops, and he did not appear to be moving at all. This was the they... advent of, of handheld camcorders, so a random individual on the street captured it, and that was what's so incendiary, was he had tape of it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, as I recall, the guy's name was George Holliday, and he lived in an apartment complex across the street from where Rodney King was being beaten up. He had just bought a fancy camcorder because he wanted to get into the business of, of recording stuff and being a cameraman and so on. And so he hears the, the hubbub out his window, whips out the new camera, and he captures this footage. And so what he did was he went to his favorite station in Los Angeles, Channel 5. Hal Fishman was the anchor. I was actually working as an intern at the station the night he showed up no way. with the tape. Yes. Now, of course, if it were up to, to... How have I never heard this story? If it were up to Royal, I probably would have looked at it and said, oh, sorry, George, uh, we, we don't need that. You know, we've got, uh, we've got shootings uh, to talk about. But what is the cops beating up, uh, you know, some poor person? Uh, that happens all the time because I'm a little, yeah. little Royal Oaks, yeah. tiny this, little gold this Republican. Is, this is not news, George. Thanks anyway. Now, somebody <laughs> with better judgment than a little Royal... Well, nobody has good judgment when they're a kid. Took it and and put it on the air, and the rest is history because it, it totally blew up. So what happened is, folks who know the story uh, recall, the cops go on trial in yeah. Simi Valley yeah. in a state court system. Yep. Simi Valley being kind of a conservative area, as yep. a matter of fact, sort of a place where cops and retired cops tended to live. Yep. So the jury comes back and they say, no, not guilty. The cops didn't beat him up illegally. You know, he was kind of moving a little bit. You know, you never know if he's got PCP. He seemed to be having the strength of 10 men. And so uh, the whole town explodes and the Rodney King riots resulted for several days. And so what happens? Is that the end of it? Because, you know, double jeopardy in America, you can't try somebody twice for the same crime, right? Right. 
feds come along and say, uh, guess what, cops? Uh, we're from the federal government, and uh, it's a crime to beat somebody up with intent to deprive them of their civil rights. Yeah. And the cops say, well, what do you mean? We were already tried for beating this guy up, found not guilty. Yeah, but you weren't tried for beating him up with intent to deprive. And so they won that fight. The U.S. Supreme Court has actually said in a similar case, no, that's not double jeopardy. So then they went to trial in federal court in downtown Los Angeles a year or so later. And guess how that trial turned out? The big, fat, guilty verdict. Yep. And the judge was so concerned that uh, there might be some violence if the verdict turned out a different way. He took the verdict at Saturday morning. It was either 7 or 8 in the morning on Saturday to be you know, careful and cautious about yeah, this. Yeah, make sure nobody was paying too much attention because it's the weekend. People mm -hmm. don't consume news on the weekend the way they do. Right. Just, which, of course, hurts, as we discussed now, Joe Biden winning South Carolina, which is on a Saturday. That's right. So nobody's going to hear about it before Super Tuesday. That's what Biden's counting on is that South Carolina bounce. And, I mean, it's only two days between the two elections. People don't have time to process. But— we digress, don't we, Connor? Because we were talking about pardons. So the idea is that maybe Donald Trump is turning the pardon power, which is supposed to acknowledge, you know, mercy is an appropriate uh, approach to this, and if there was a mistake in the criminal justice system. But the president allegedly is turning it into a political tool. People he likes he might pardon, people who are loyal to him, maybe folks who have a fan base who might be supportive of Donald Trump. The traditional approach is to correct a miscarriage of justice, not to have pure politics. Now, to be fair, uh, Donald Trump is a Republican, but we've seen some controversial Democrat yeah, I mean, pardons, the, the, it's like Mark Rich by Bill Clinton. A great example. Mark Rich uh, was a financier um, who fled the United States after being indicted for some financial crime who even knows really what it was. And he had given hundreds of thousands of dollars to Hillary's Senate campaign, to the Democrat Party generally, to Bill Clinton. Right. And Bill Clinton waited until the very last day he was in office, yeah. January 20, yeah. uh, 19, and Clinton 2001. Even, Clinton even went back uh, later in interviews and said, um, this was a bad idea. It wasn't worth uh, the the political uh, fallout. Um, you know, he thought that the guy would have would have been worth half the political fallout, right. not the whole thing. Well, I mean, that's the problem is that they're doing political fallout calculus uh, with with a, par a power that should be, um, you know theoretically about mercy or clemency uh, or some sort of bizarre miscarriage of justice and righting some uh, moral wrong that the, the court systems got wrong. But, I mean, that's the fundamental question. As we talk about uh, the question of the, the pardon power and how politically uh, motivated the president should be when wielding it, the real question uh, at the bottom of it all is, why do we have a pardon power? What When are the examples where it's actually applicable and and— should there be some other solution? Well, as I mean, you pointed out, though, I mean, it's so ingrained in our system. Governors can do it uh, right. with the phone call to the, the death chamber at the la at 1159. Presidents yeah. can do it. I mean, are you saying you don't think it makes sense to have the chief executive of the country or a, a political division like a state to have that power to say, you know what, we love our criminal justice system, but they really screwed up this time, well, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step in and save this guy. I think it's, I think it's an, uh, a currently unanswered question because there are so many examples of the pardon power being misused and there are also so many examples of the pardon power being used because our criminal justice system got something wrong. Look, I'm no fan of the criminal justice system. I acknowledge its flaws. I recognize that it very frequently reinforces and makes worse 
our biases and our societal structural inequalities and problems. You have minorities being targeted by law enforcement and by prosecutors, and they end up in jail at massively higher rates, and they end up convicted for violent crimes and even capital crimes at much higher, higher rates. And you end up with juries who reinforce their own biases or express their own biases and district attorneys who take advantage of that. And all that leads to a, some terrible, terrible outcomes. And the pardon power by uh, state governors and also theoretically the pardon power by the president are important release valves for that pressure that our biases uh, put on the criminal justice system. But at the same time, while this is, I think, a necessary and important uh, release valve to have— I think we can also have the conversation about why people should be wielding it, and we shouldn't just put our hands up and go, oh, well, they can wield it for political purposes, yep. too, because we need it so uh, crucially for the moral you know, clemency, uh, right or wrong, and miscarriage of I justice think, I think you're right, but we're going to have to have that conversation after we pause after one more time. Yeah. This is Too Many Lawyers. Stick with us. We're back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. We're talking about uh, whether the pardon power has been abused by Donald Trump or his predecessors. Uh, Of course, um, the process is supposed to be, Connor, you submit your application to the Department of Justice. Right. A bunch of lawyers who do this for a living vet it, Mm -hmm. make recommendations to the top brass in the Department of Justice, and then they present options to the president. And, of course, the president may have some input, and maybe Bill Clinton definitely had input on on Mark Rich and so on. The the famous incident of Scooter Libby, who was the chief of staff to Vice President Dick Cheney, uh, he was prosecuted and found guilty of lying to investigators. Uh, I don't believe he actually served time. Uh, I believe uh, President George W. Bush commuted his sentence, but it was a huge fight between Cheney and Bush. Cheney wanted a pardon, which is not an expungement. It is not a statement that you never did it, but it is an official forgiveness by the government. It actually is an admission of guilt. I mean, built into it is saying— To accept the pardon? Accept the pardon. Accepting the pardon is— I don't think Dick Nixon admitted guilt when he took the pardon from Ford. Yeah, he may not have come out and said it, but the pardon itself is supposed to be— that you accept it, and by accepting it, you are admitting guilt and accepting responsibility, taking responsibility for what you did, but saying, uh, you know, the the punishment here would lead to worse injustice um, than not having the punishment. And that's that's an acknowledgement that sometimes punishments uh, don't fit crimes or circumstances change between the say a trial and the the you know carrying out of the punishment or taking you know finishing of the punishment. Sometimes punishments take years to do. I'm guessing that if you want to go to Vegas and win a lot of money, no matter what the odds are, I'm guessing you could make money on a bet saying I think the president is going to pardon or at least commute the sentence of Roger, Roger Stone. Roger Stone, yeah. I mean, the president has been so out there criticizing the way uh, Stone was treated, the nature of the trial, the actions of, of the judge, the juror who was the forewoman who had uh, who had written some uh, social media posts that she didn't really own up to. She didn't remember whether she'd made certain posts or not. And so it's hard to say that she really lied during the jury selection process. And it's easy also to criticize Stone's lawyers because they didn't search out her her public social media posts. But I got to think that there's a good chance the president is going to say, you know what, uh, poor Roger is is deserving of either a pardon or a commutation. Yeah, extremely By the way, chance. commutation is just to reduce the sentence or wipe out the sentence completely. And this is, this is the problem. One of the major problems with the pardon power is that the pardon power, especially as— 
uh, used to exonerate somebody like, not exonerate, but, uh, you know, lessen the punishment of somebody like Roger Stone is actually a way for Donald Trump to wash his own hands. And that's the real danger of a political pardon is one of the major real dangers. There are many. But one of the dangers is if you say that Roger Stone did nothing wrong and thus I'm going to pardon him or he got railroaded and he didn't do some of the things he was accused of doing or the things he did weren't as bad as the people said they were, what you're really saying is I, Donald Trump, didn't instruct my lackey, Roger Stone, to go intimidate witnesses in this important legal proceeding against me, because that is what Roger Stone is accused of, is bullying and intimidating and threatening witnesses who were going to basically be testifying against Donald Trump and his political campaign. So it, the fact that the political pardon can be used not just to help out somebody who donates to an election, election mm-hmm. campaign, which is a problem in and of itself, but to help the president who's offering the pardon himself, that's the worst possible scenario. <laughs> that's a nightmare. So that's the—I mean, you know, the, this is the, 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 the ultimate horrible outcome of what the pardon power can do. Now, do I have a solution Instantly, just snap my fingers. Drum and say, roll. This Connor's is, solution. Yes, I do. No, I don't. But I, I, I have a, a, a process, and the process, thankfully, is already in place. The process that's already in place is the one you just described earlier. There's an office uh, of of the pardon, right? Um, in the federal government, in the D- Department bunch of Justice, of lawyers. a bunch of lawyers, and it's analogous to, if you, dear viewer. Um, uh, remember our uh, previous uh, episode uh, in which we've talked about uh, the Office of Legal Counsel. But the Office of Legal Counsel is uh, the OLC is a bunch of lawyers who basically uh, take a, a really big salary in order to sell their souls to write opinions justifying whatever the, the Department of Justice uh, generally and the president generally want to do. And you can see it as selling their souls. Right. Uh, to to justify whatever the president calls him up and says, hey, give me an opinion saying I could do this. Or you can see it as they have things brought to their attention, they write opinions, they give those opinions to the executive, and the executive says, oh, I can do that because it's okay. Or, oh, I can't do that, and it's not, and they actually are restrained. Now, do I think the Office of Legal Counsel actually restrains the president in any way? No. Do I think the Office of the Pardon actually nowadays literally does restrict the president in his exercise of the pardon in any way? No, I think it's the same thing. I think, as many people would tell you, that the executive calls up somebody at the pardon, uh, the Office of the Pardon, and says, look, this is the process. I want to pardon Mark Rich on the last day of, of my presidency as Bill Clinton. And I'm or, the boss. I'm what, the boss. What I want goes. Do what I say. And the same thing for Roger yep. Stone, and that's what they're going to do. I but think the you're right. answer to that is sunshine, because sunshine is the ultimate disinfectant. The best disinfectant. If you get people's eyes on these opinions that the Office of the Pardon should be writing or the the OLC is writing and you get people's attention paid to it and you start thinking not just did the president choose to wave his hand and snap his finger and do it but what is the does the opinion that some lawyer or a group of lawyers smart lawyers wrote that said why is it okay for us to do this what about this trial trial was a miscarriage of justice and instead of just saying well trump's tweet said oh roger stone is so unfair i'm gonna pardon him if instead you make them stick to their opinions that's the way forward it's not going to work immediately but it's the way forward towards the use of the pardon power for the right reasons so one one correction connor earlier you referred to dear viewer Actually, people aren't viewing us. They're actually just listening. So, oh, I folks, actually have a, a camera. It's filming us folks, right now. You need a little assistance here. It goes because, up on our OnlyFans. Yeah, but nobody else has seen it. Here's, here's the deal. So you'll means. know what Connor looks like. Um, 
Think Tom Cruise, right. only strikingly handsome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like really handsome. Now, for me, I'm what Pierce Brosnan probably would be. Yeah, the best well, analogy. Pierce doesn't work out that much, you know. So, so it's You're a little right. different, you know. He just he doesn't really, really, really yeah, pump he's not iron. Quite as ripped as right, I am. Right, right, right. But other right. than that, yeah. those those are the ways. Oh, but Dad, of us. you split your shirt again. You just it's <laughs> oh, it's it's. You totally don't want to see me when I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> so we also promised uh, to talk about uh, how Bernie wants the Unabomber to vote. Oh yeah, specifically. And I, I think this is analogous to. Bernie's uh, honesty problem about Castro and, and other totalitarian regimes having a having a smidge of good mm-hmm. news there with the literacy. Bernie doesn't know when to shut up. I mean, doesn't he realize it's going to be a net loss of votes if he says, I think felons, no matter what I, I they love did that, to get into the hole, should vote? I love that, that, that Bernie Sanders' honesty problem, in your words, is that he's too honest yeah, and he just he, says he, the truth. He definitely is <clears throat> too honest. Well, I mean, you're right. This is this is politically a terrible move to say, um, to say that— uh, uh, that felons should vote because it invites people to get excited on the other side about the fact that the Unabomber can vote under his plan, right? Yep, right. But but it does appeal to his uh, a large part portion of his base, his most excited. He's already fans. got his base. He doesn't have to appeal but to them. His, they're gonna they're gonna his, vote for him anyway. You're right. They're gonna vote, but they're also gonna get out there and canvas. They're gonna knock door to door. They're gonna stand on freeway overpasses and wave Bernie signs at Royal Oaks as he drives underneath, waiting for me to give them the V, the for, v victory for victory sign. <laughs> Make because sure that index finger stays up. They're so off. excited about him being a really hardcore civil rights and, and social justice warrior so on their behalf. It is a big deal. San Francisco does not have a monopoly on San Francisco values because Florida is challenging the city by the bay. And here's mm-hmm. how. According to the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals in Florida there, Florida may not bar felons who have served their time mm-hmm. from registering to vote simply because they failed to pay all the fines and the fees stemming from these cases. The judges felt this was an unfair poll tax mm-hmm. that could disenfranchise many released felons. Yes. So it seems like a, te- a tempest in a teapot, except when you think George Bush won Florida by, what, just a few hundred votes. So right. a few felons who haven't been able to pay their fines, they could actually make the difference. This law was approved overwhelmingly by Florida voters a couple of years ago mm-hmm. to let most felons who who served their time regain the right to vote. But then the legislature said, well, okay, but you know, uh, you, you got to pay your fines and your fees before that. Well, no, that that's, that's not the way it is. I mean, uh, what this boils down to is that some people want everybody to vote. Uh, I think a lot of people yes. would like a special voting button to be installed in all remote control devices at home, <laughs> so you could, from the comfort of your lazy boy Barco lounger, push at a push of a button, call up the ballot on your screen, and and place your some place people your think vote. voting should be compulsory, like it is in yeah. many other countries, like Australia. Absolutely, and in California, I think uh, Assemblyman Weiner has introduced a mandatory voting act. What he says is democracy is not a spectator sport, right. pal. So if you want to stay out of jail or at least uh, avoid a fine. But, you know, the Florida vote, I think there was a little hypocrisy here. When the Florida vote came in by the legislators and they said, we want felons who have paid their dues to society, they carved out some exceptions, Connor. They said, now, if you were convicted of murder or if you were convicted of a sexual offense, sorry, we're not going to let you vote. Right. I'm not sure I get that. I, I get from a political standpoint, maybe they thought that's the only way that the voters could accept this. Yeah. But but really, there's no rationale. 
because all those other guys that were in prison that we're now letting on the vote, they're there because of violent felonies, well, for see, example. I think not a whole lot different from murder or sexual it's, offenses. It's, easy, it's not easy to draw that line and say, well, okay, uh, let's let's excise you know murder and sexual offenses from this list. But remember that the status quo right now is that we are drawing a line at felony, and felony is just an arbitrary line as well. The difference between misdemeanor not and felony, to the victim. Uh, if somebody's arm is lopped off, that's a felony of mayhem, as opposed to you know oh he stole five hundred dollars from me. That's a misdemeanor. Oh, it may be arbitrary, but it's a pretty damn meaningful line. It, it is a meaningful drawn. line. But remember that we have to draw that line somewhere and. When somebody steals five hundred dollars versus a thousand dollars versus two thousand dollars, at some point it goes from petty theft right. up to grand theft, and we start to call in a felony. Except if in they... California, where all theft has been pushed down to the misdemeanor level. Right. Well, not all. Look, but... these are all line drawing exercises. Lawyers like you and I have sat around in law schools and in law review articles, and then that trickles to judges' chambers and judges making these decisions, and then to uh, statutory changes at the legislature level. Everything is. An arbitrary line where we say one crime is a felony, one crime is a misdemeanor, and that's that, that's a tough line to right. draw. Now, to say that, uh, say that, you know, we're going to piggyback on our previous smart decision makers who've decided what's a felony versus what's a misdemeanor, and say voting rights is connected to that, I think that that is a a a, a, a not a bad shortcut, but it had bad outcomes. And to say that we're going to start revising that and tweaking that, that should be the conservative position. The conservative position is to say, okay, well, you know, let's not have every Unabomber vote. Let's let's move that line from felony up to like really bad violent felony or really bad sexual felony or whatever else or murder or whatever and move that line there. Whereas, you know, keeping, maintaining the exact status quo, there's no reason why that exact status quo we've had forever about felony versus misdemeanor should be the law of the land. We should be willing to examine that and decide where that line should be. Do I think the Unabomber voting makes the world a better place? No, I agree. He's a bad dude and he sh probably shouldn't be voting. But where we draw that line is super duper important. And the, the march of the criminal justice system is to escalate crime. It's to every politician and every DA, every mayor gets it's a political benefit by going out there and saying, I'm tough on crime. And they right. certainly have for the last 30, 40, 50 years. And so doing that was it was really dangerous to, to tack your know, voting rights loss to this constantly shifting line of let's be tough on crime, let's criminalize more stuff, let's make more things a felony. And the fact that we're swinging the pendulum backwards and recognize that we went too far overboard, I think is a good thing. I think it's a good conversation to have. And I'm actually very on board with the California politicians' approach of saying, okay, 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 I get that uh, Florida has um, uh, made you know the felony uh, losing voting rights rule uh, uh, the history. So let's do the same thing, but carve out an exception for the really absolute worst things. I'm okay with that well, because that's a nuanced approach. I'll say this. It, this better have been a good conversation to have or else this podcast has sucked. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. No, never. This, this, was, this was great. We solved the problem of Pardon Palooza and whether felons uh, should vote. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for listening. Uh, and we'll a good see. California history lesson is too. That's right. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country. 
including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.